Hello, friends, and welcome to our all-new Star Trek actual play podcast, Star Trek Aegean. Odds are you're listening to this episode via one of our many podcast channels, such as Funny Books with Aaron and Polly, Rainsboro, or Four Hauntsmen, among others. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Star Trek Aegean RSS feed, as this will be the only time we offer Aegean in the other feeds. You can find that link on the right column of iomgeek.com, or find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoy this new podcast as much as we enjoyed making it for you. Shulon True. Hey guys, this is Aaron, your nerdy friend from iomgeek.com. Longtime fans of the podcasts hosted on iomgeek.com will recall that some time ago we recorded a sandbox role-playing game series in which we developed a setting for Star Trek. Uh, that was called USS Aegean. We had a lot of fans of that podcast. Uh, the sandbox sessions were very entertaining, and they're available right here on iomgeek.com if you want to listen to those historical archived episodes. But the downside about the uh, Aegean recordings is that we never actually got around to playing the game. And that's for a variety of reasons, all having to do with real life and scheduling and whatnot. Well, we have recently assembled a new cast of, of players to record a new Star Trek actual play podcast in which we sandbox. And I can tell you right now, as of this recording, we have already recorded our first game. So as one of my players said it, suck it, USS Aegean NX version. So anyway, uh, this is the first sandbox session. There are a couple of these that, that you'll be hearing in the coming weeks on the feed. And then the actual games. So hope you enjoy. Live long and prosper. And as my Romulan friends might say it, Jolan True. role-playing game podcast i'm aaron i'm dan i'm james i'm scott and joining us uh brand new to our uh, to the mics here at ideologyofmadness.com also now iomgeek.com is neil dilithium degrasse dalton hi neil hi everybody Hey, how you doing? Hey. Sorry. <laughs> nice to meet everybody. So Neil is the uh, is the winner of our contest audition to uh, participate in uh, in our Star Trek role playing game podcast. We are excited to have you here, Neil. Well, I'm really excited to be here. It's <laughs> like a strange feeling being on this. Super awesome. 
It is. <laughs> well, welcome. Our listeners will probably know Dan from uh, Miskatonic University. He has uh, been a guest on the podcast before, and uh, we are happy to have you here, Dan. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm looking forward to this a lot. You know, our listeners are probably also familiar with James from our other uh, Ideology of Madness actual plays. Uh, welcome, James. Thank you. I'm glad to be here as well. And maybe a little less familiar, but you'll be hearing a lot more from uh, other uh, Ideology of Madness actual plays we have recorded, is Mr. Scotty Bonner. Greetings, greetings. So uh, we've got uh, four players for our uh, Star Trek goodness this time around. And, you know, we couldn't get into talking about role-playing games without first establishing a little role-playing game street cred. So, uh, Dan, I think we all know that uh, you are a big-time Cthulhu role-player. Mm-hmm. But tell me, sir, was that your very first role-playing game? Yes. Was it? Call really? of Cthulhu was my very first uh, game, and it took a little while before I started trying other stuff. I've actually not done any Trek role-play. Mm-hmm. I created a character for the last Unicorn Games uh, version of the game, but we never actually played it. Ah. Ah. We what? celebrate the diversity you bring, being a non-D&D firster. <laughs> well, I'm thinking you, you start off with Call of Cthulhu. That's really got to skew, skew yeah. your, uh, your take on role-playing games for uh, forever. And I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. It, wow. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah these... Killing things and taking their stuff has no place in my general <laughs> worldview of RPG. It yeah. just it's, just it's just being driven mad and then killed, right? That, that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the progression it's, of things. It's already dead. It took my yeah. stuff. <laughs> and, and, and preferably having a case of dynamite lit and ready to go. Right, right. Nice. Were you uh, were you exorbitantly pleased the first time you ran into a mind flayer in a D&D game just because it felt natural to you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in the D and D I've done, I have not encountered one. But uh, yeah, they they would be you know fairly at home. I played a Star Wars character that actually has the uh, appearance of the mind flayer type of look. We decided if he went dark side, that we would call him Darthulu. I I feel like you have been done wrong not having encountered a mind flayer in your D and D experience. I, I I feel like this needs to be this needs to be corrected. Are we going to have mind flares in Star Trek? What? Yeah, I was about to say, the, the Star Trek universe is vast. Spoilers! Spoilers! <laughs> Illithids. So, 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 James, tell us about your first time. Uh, well, somewhat like Dan, it was not uh, D&D first. Unlike Dan, it was way less dark. Um, my first experience was with the old... <clears throat> Marvel, uh, TSR Marvel Superheroes game, the old face rip game. Right. Um, and we jammed that pretty hard, pretty much all through high school. Uh, it was hard for me to convince people in college to take it as seriously as I took it. Cause this is serious um, shit. It's serious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the, my players made a character named the ineffable cat basket. So that kind of tells you how seriously they were taking things. Right. Um, and then uh, I have not ever – I have played a Star Trek game. Um, my brother dredged it up from somewhere. I don't even know who made it. Uh, I think it was made in Japan. Um, but that has been the limit of my Star Trek role playing. Wow. Well, other than, you know, the cosplaying. You're right, right. right. The bed LARPing, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, Scott, mm-hmm. what was your first role playing game? I think it would be – 1985, 
and it was D&D, either basic or first. We went back and forth. It was weird because my in my first role-playing group, I was the only geek. Like, the other players were the guy that was too cool for school and kept flunking out, and the guy who rode a motorcycle or Harley to school every day and was kind of a badass, and the guy who was, like, renowned throughout the county for being the official badass that people <laughs> come from towns all around to fight him. <laughs> and then me with my books and my little... <laughs> Toy dragon. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. That's too funny. <laughs> um, yeah, so I played all kinds of crap. Um, went through a long World of Darkness phase, and, you know, don't we all? But, and, but, uh, did you wear the eyeliner, though? I need to know that. <laughs> no, I didn't I didn't do full dress-up, though okay. the LARPing was fun. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have played a couple of Star Trek games, and they've both been really excellent, so I expect nothing less. And so I know one of them was Far Track, right? Uh, yeah, At, absolutely. Have you, have, you played a system no. other, have you played a system other than Far Trek? I have played in the old 80s Star Trek oh, system. the FASA what? system. Two short campaigns, yeah. yeah. Two short campaigns of like a half dozen. Oh, uh, yeah, I love that old FASA system. Sessions. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good stuff. Yep, All right, yep. Neil. So that was <laughs> All right, Neil. Uh, tell, me, tell me about your, uh, your role-playing street crib. Well, I started role-playing back in high school, and it was with uh, my friend's homebrew system, which was taking pretty much the Battletech world and then adding psionics to it and a whole bunch of other stuff and pretty much trashing the whole uh, system of Battletech and MechWarrior and using uh, a wildly variant version of Star Wars D- D6. Oh, yeah. And... It was just pretty much yeah, your your power gaming fantasy for about four or five years, right? right. <laughs> and then we just branched out into my friend, yeah, you know, a lot of homebrews because he kept, he didn't like buying a lot of stuff, so he kept making up his own games. Uh, and then from there, I started playing uh, World of Darkness. I also did the LARP thing uh, for World of Darkness and have been gaming on and off for years when time allows. And recently I have another group that that I game with for we're finishing up a Call of Cthulhu campaign uh, right now. Very nice. So it sounds like we've got a nice diverse crowd of role players. Mm -hmm. So so now I'm going to go back to the top of the list, Dan. Talk to me about your Star Trek. Well, uh, let's see. I really got into it mainly whenever Next Gen came out. Mm-hmm. That was my primary trek. I really wasn't. I had seen a handful of episodes of original before that, but it didn't really grab me per se. Um, Next Gen, I really got into. Loved that. Did, now, um, did you did you discover Next Gen when it was being broadcast, or was it in, yes. in syndication? Okay. Yeah, well, original broadcast. And it was uh, that and Doctor Who got me through high school. And so, yeah, it was a really nice, you know, departure from a lot of the other stuff that was around. I I really just got into that. I've continued on watching pr- most of the shows as they've come out. I may not have really grabbed onto it enough to stick with it, but I have at least sampled all the shows as they started up. Uh, and um, right now I'm going through uh, Deep Space Nine. Oh, I envy uh, you. A lot of show. that. Oh, yeah. Loves oh, yeah. Deep Space I found Nine. a list that actually 
brings it points out the specific episodes leading am through the dominion war right that's kind of the one i'm what i'm focusing on right now yeah uh, D- deep space nine is my is my all-time favorite i just I, I loves me some deep space nine i think mine too yeah it's just such good storytelling it is it is and and there's real conflict between people and and there's just so much there to, to appreciate and you know there tends to be a real life sense of humor on that show and that's something i think star yeah. trek struggles with is is a is a real sense of humor mm-hmm. not forced exactly yeah. yeah yeah that's not just silly right i mean i, I felt like there was mm-hmm. some, there was some organic humor to it uh that you often don't find in, in Star Trek that, you know, it, it just was even handed. And I like it. I like that show. Um, okay. So James, what's your Star Trek? All right. So now is confession time because I have to admit, I'm not a huge Trekkie. Um, I did pick up some of the original series episodes off and on when they would play, you know, on Saturday afternoon TV, mostly. Um, I got into, um, I got into Next Generation uh, when it came out, when it was airing. I think it was airing on Fox. Um, I watched most of that. Um, and then I watched uh, Deep Space Nine. I really like Deep Space Nine as well. Um, <clears throat> but I stopped watching when I went to college, which would have been about the time they traded Daxes. Because you outgrew Childish Things? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I just stopped watching TV as much. Not, well, you know, I went through a Thundar the Barbarian phase because they were replanting <laughs> network. So hey man, I, I can always come back to Thundar. Yeah, always, always. Well, always. Here's the, you know, the 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 wonderful thing about Thundar, and let me proselytize for just a moment, is that uh, the opening sequence says that the world ends in 1994, and I went to college in 1993. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I did not – I watched a few of the episodes of Voyager, particularly uh, enjoyed the one with The Rock. Um, and then uh, I didn't watch any of, of uh, Enterprise. I've seen most of the movies, and I guess that's it. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and I've read, I've read one of the novels. Which novel? The one with the crossover with the X-Men, if that counts. That does not count. There, that does not count. count. There was a crossover with X Men. Yeah. yeah, there was a there yeah. was a Star Trek X Men crossover. Why not? And it was a novel, not a comic. It was a novel, <laughs> of course. I think well, they, I they read that comic, one. They did a comic came. as well. They yeah, a comic. Yeah, yeah, lots of crossover comics. Yeah. But, you know, it was nice because they had both McCoys, both Doctor McCoy. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, oh, James. <laughs> so Scott. Tell us your Star Trek story. I think I could probably argue that I was born into it. Uh-huh. My birth certificate does not say Scott. It says Scotty. Very nice. S-C-O-T-T-Y. And I was told it was because my dad was a Star Trek fan. Very nice. Um, yeah, I thought so. Uh, it's probably the only thing good about my dad. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, with the exception of, of Enterprise, I have watched all of them as they aired uh, except for, of course, the original, which was before I was born. I watched it in rerun. Right. Except that all of them were spotty because I've always had jobs and stuff that would keep me from being able to watch, um, watch them uh, on a regular basis. It's the man but I've been keeping you down. That's what it is. It's the man exactly. keeping you down. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Like a stick <laughs> to the heart. Always been a fan, though. And um, I think uh, Voyager I watched pretty regularly. Because it was a good time with my job to be watching Star Trek uh, until it became the seven and nine show, and then I kind of got bored with it. Mm. Um, but I did get to see a whole lot of Next Gen in order, 
Um, and right now, I have been sunk deep into Trek because I've been listening to the Mission Log podcast. And what they do is they go from the very beginning, one episode per week, and kind of delve into each one in order. And so I've been watching right now. I've watched all of TOS. I yeah, skipped around a bit on their cartoons. And then I've watched all of Next Gen, and we're in the middle of Season 7. So I am really, really recently updated on all of the early stuff. Is that how far they've gotten in Mission Log? Yeah. What'd you I think? Stopped, man, I didn't I, – I stopped listening to that, and I, I, I guess mm-hmm. forever ago, because I think when I was listening, it was still the original series. Oh, and I, I guess I should say I have watched a couple of the cartoons. So I love the go. cartoons. Little, little the cartoons good. are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I am currently listening to three Star Trek rewatch podcasts. I am listening to the, the aforementioned, uh, aforementioned Mission Log, which is a very sophisticated, cultured look at Star Trek. And then there's the other side of that, which is uh, uh, The Greatest Generation, which is recorded by two guys who are in the uh, film and video industry. And those guys are hysterical, and they are as disrespectful as they can possibly be about Star Trek. So as reverential as Mission Log is, the guys over on uh, uh, The Greatest Generation are the exact opposite of that. And then I'm listening to Matt Myra's new uh, podcast called Star Trek The Next Conversation. And, and uh, so I mean, I'm, it's three re- rewatch uh, podcasts that I'm listening to. I think they call that a fix whenever you listen to three of them. Well, and I mean, I've got a problem. I, I will, I will be absolutely honest about it. I, I've got a genuine problem. <laughs> you have it lined up so that you listen to the, epi- the same episode that covers the same episode of Trek, or I have thought is about, it all just I, scattered? It's all scattered because you know I'm I'm deep into both Mission Log and uh, the the Greatest Generation because Greatest Generation drops two episodes a week. Um, yeah, I know mm. it's crazy. I'm like, I, I, how do these guys do that? You know, as a guy who podcasts every week, I don't know how they do two a week. But is, uh, is that not what we're doing with this podcast? Guys? <laughs> that that was... is not. That is not what we're doing with this podcast. So, Neil, tell me about your track. Uh, well, growing up, I caught a lot of the original episodes and you know, in reruns, and a few of the Star Trek uh, uh, cartoons, but never really got much further into the cartoons as as much as i did the original trek i'd have to say next generation was probably my star trek uh and partly because the physics teacher i had in high school would give us extra credit questions based on star trek the next generation he also taught us vectors by using the enterprise as an example and using warp factor so he's the only reason why i got a good grade in that class otherwise i would have been lost (laughs) that's a good teacher Oh, he That's was. Right. He's great. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a game designer now. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Killer Rabbits, I think, uh, is one of his games. And he okay. used to run, like, a gaming club in school, although he looked down upon the role players. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I had, uh, a, I had a math teacher who was all about D&D, and she would let us play D&D during her class once we finished our work. Nice. Yeah, that That's, was pretty cool. That was pretty uh, cool. And uh, after you know, after high school, you know, I kept. I, I think I pretty much saw all the complete run of Next Generation in original airing dates, uh, and then I started following Deep Space Nine. I've seen all of the movies. Uh, Wrath of Khan is probably my favorite out of all of them. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and uh, with uh, Voyager, I I caught more of the stuff toward the end of it. Uh, and Enterprise, I really never got a chance to really watch because I, at least in my area, it got preempted a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I I maintain that it's true for Next Generation. Uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, even Enterprise, that it takes three years for a Star Trek series to really find its footing. And, you know, that wasn't, that was not true of the original series, but is, is, I think, very much true of the series that have come after it. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that right as Enterprise started getting good is when they canceled that show. I only got four years of it. And when Manny Cotto took over the show running responsibilities uh, in season four, uh, is when it really started rocking. I mean, he was doing three episode arcs, so making little mini movies on, on in his stories. Those were fantastic. I think you could say that uh, original Trek took three years to lose its footing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the you know its third season being its weakest. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I loves me some Star Trek. Some of it is is excruciating to watch. Uh, you know, the 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 first season of of Star Trek: The Next Generation is just wow so bad mm-hmm. you know and honestly i think i think in today's day and age i don't think it it would have gotten a second season you know now, with, do you do you think that it was as bad when you look back on it like I, like when you're when you're originally watching it do you think it was as bad then or I, looking back now i remember i remember uh feeling two things one thrilled that star trek was on the air and a little disgusted that it wasn't as cool as it ought to be right that the the characters you know the, the characters and stories in fact i remember wanting to throw something at the tv when they did the naked now you know which was a, just a complete rip off as as were many of the first season episodes rip offs of original series scripts and i i so i was aware that it wasn't particularly good but I, I do remember watching that last episode of season one, Conspiracy, with the little bugs that crawled in and out of their mouths. Yeah. And yeah. going, okay, y'all need to do that every week. <laughs> and, and it never you know, went anywhere. It never that, went anywhere. Right. That, that was probably the weakness of, that first co- of those first couple of seasons was they were trying to do original Trek instead right. of doing something new with the, For really in the universe. Reason. For really no yeah. good reason, you know they were they were retooling scripts from Phase Two, the the uh, Star Trek TV series that didn't happen because they decided to make the motion picture, and then they also took a bunch of stuff from uh, the original series, and it's just it doesn't work. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they had people who were like DC Fontana, who is an exceptional science fiction writer. I don't know that she is a good television producer. So. I think she wrote some really great episodes, though. She did. I think uh, I think that first season us. really has to do with more has to do with Roddenberry trying to really live his youth. Than I agree with that too. I I think there were a lot of problems in that writers' room, and it wasn't until they had real producers in the room that that I think it really took hold. You know, and it, you when you remove Roddenberry from the equation, and sadly, you know, he passed on fairly early in the run. Uh, and got sick or, earlier than that, but uh, the fact that he would not allow inter-character conflict in the show's regulars, I mean, it's like he doesn't understand drama, <laughs> you know? Uh, and which that's one of the things I found so refreshing about Deep Space Nine is because everybody hated everybody on that show, and they had all kinds yeah. of they had all kinds of at one time or another. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. I loved it. it was, you know, he, they understood drama over there. Okay, 
So I think we talked about everybody's Trek. Okay, round table real quick. Dan, who's your favorite first officer? I'd have to go with uh, Karen Norice. She didn't take crap from, from nobody. And she single-handedly, unarmed, beat the crap out of a Cardassian officer. Dan is going for Teacher's Pet. He's going for Teacher's Pet. (laughs) (laughs) James, who's your first officer? I'm going to go with Riker. And why is that, James? uh, Facial hair, mostly. But... um, So, uh, Yeah, he's the one who... um, you know, pretty much all the other captains got involved uh, on the away teams. I guess maybe not not uh, Janeway, but Riker was the guy who went on the away team because Picard was old, basically. <laughs> um, so, and I, you know, Kira, of course, did was security and all that, but you know, Riker was the guy going out and doing the action. I guess is the best way to put it. Probably not the best way to put it. The best way I'm going to put it. So if you were having to pull him out of time, right, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to reach back into time, to pull Riker out to help you with the situation right now, and your only choice was smooth face Riker, would you still have – would you still reach for Riker? Uh, Baby uh, yeah, face yeah. Riker? Yeah, yeah. I get, I guess I still a lot. would. You would? Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, you know, I mean you, he's on a – he's on a – a semi-military vessel, you know, that's always kind of a an iffy proposition in Star Trek. You know, they have ranks and everything, but are they really in the military? But, you know, in the military, sometimes you got to yell at somebody to get some stuff done. Okay. Right. So what you do is you, you pull them through time, you keep them for at least three weeks, and you hide the razor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the replicator. You can't, no replicating razors. And you just tell him you're doing this as a favor to him. That's right. You're That's helping right. him. You're helping him. You will understand yeah. someday. <laughs> see, see, Aaron. Now we know why Riker has a beard. This is the scenario that uh, happened. That's right. He got pulled through time. Somebody knew it was going to happen. Well, how he's how things were going to be when he had the beard. They made him grow the beard, and then they put it put him back with no memory of it. See? We're writing. We're writing slash fic as we speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Scott, who's your number one? All right, so my my trek is next gen, but I still gonna have to go with Spock uh-huh. as my first officer um, because he pretty much stole that show mm-hmm. and made such an incredibly interesting character, especially the later Spock in the movies. Whenever he's like trying to develop depth with the character, though sometimes it was squirrely, but you know, right. um, I think that there's a lot of interesting things that just it's and it's just great to watch his face. He's a, I don't know if he's a great actor, but he's a, the right kind of actor for that role because he's just got such an expressive face to have. I have no emotion, and it's all the damn all over the place right there. Right, right. <laughs> have you seen the uh, documentary for the love of Spock? The one by his son. Yeah, by Adam Nimoy. I did. Mm-hmm. I did see that. that yeah, is, that, that was is a fantastic documentary. I thought. Uh, mm-hmm. You know it. Uh, it uh, documents the impact of Spock and Star Trek on the culture, but also, you know, l- the impact of it on Leonard Nimoy, and was very much a love letter fr- of his son to his dad. And I, 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 I don't know if it was just because it was such a well-made movie, or if I'm such a Star Trek geek, but you know, I, I got to tell you, I teared up by the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I love about it is it's not just it's a love letter, yeah. but it's a love letter to an imperfect father right. with yeah. problems and coming right through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was awfully honest. 
you know, and uh, th- that's that was surprising uh, how how raw some of that was. So, so yeah, Scott, I don't know why you would enjoy a story about a son and his imperfect father. That just doesn't seem like you or your experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, Neil, who's your first officer? I I think I have to agree with James, and it would be Riker. Uh, I don't know if I'd go rescue Smooth Face Riker, but you know, definitely <laughs> Riker from years later. <laughs> but it was definitely, yeah. I think there was a there was a sense of humor there with the character that I right. that I liked. So yeah. just say no to Dollar Shave Club Riker. Yes, you're looking for something, somebody a little bit more, a little bit more manly, right? A little bit more mountain man Riker, a true Alaskan. <laughs> is that where he was from? Oh my yeah, god! From yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. What's funny is the Trek cred. He grew all that hair, but he didn't really get more manly. He actually got kind of softer and more thoughtful, especially toward the end. Well, no, but he, he was more comfortable with himself, which is in yeah. fact more manly. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It means yeah. he has better writers too. That's right. That's true. Also, yeah. he had he had yeah. Ronald D. Moore helping him out there. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so uh, we have uh, broken some ice, and I want to do one more thing before we move on to setting and characters, um, and just to kind of get a sense of, uh, of 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 the type of conversations that you might be wanting to have inside our Star Trek game. Each of you has the opportunity to invite one character from Star Trek to dinner. So, Dan, who are you inviting over for dinner? To join our table. And this is from, like, throughout the whole of Trek canon. Throughout the whole of Trek. It could be Starfleet, could be Klingon, could be Romulan. I've given this some thought. Yep. And I think it would be an interesting conversation to talk to the Skullhead guy that Worf kills over and over again on the holodeck. (laughs) (laughs) He's basically the Washington Generals of Star Trek. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, he's there to be beaten up, and uh, I just think it would be interesting to hear things from his perspective. You know, yeah, yeah. what was that interview like to be the holodeck guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, I'm Jane, not saying table banners will be great, but right. eh. yeah, yeah, but probably has some stories to tell. All of them ending, yeah. with, and then he hit me with the batliff. <laughs> or someone did so James who are you inviting to supper I am inviting Kira Norris this is also a a correct choice so uh Uh, largely because uh, in high school uh, me and all my friends had a huge crush on her uh, and everybody knows what happens after you uh, invite a woman to dinner so um <laughs> but, but no, she's she's a very interesting character. I like the Bajorans and um, you know, she is to me like the prototypical Bajoran as well because she's kind of conflicted about where her planet has been and where it's going. Um you you always kind of <clears throat> I always kind of had the feeling that if she had her way, she wouldn't be a badass. She's right. a badass cuz she has to be. Right. <clears throat> um and then I'm going to cheat she- and say as a backup, I would uh Want to talk to Noonien Singh? That's the guy who invented data and lore, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you know the idea of um, artificial intelligence and what it means to be human and thought and all of that is fascinating, and I, I would 
want to talk to talk to him about that. But mostly, I want to have you know Kira across the table from me. I I, I completely understand that. So Scott, who would you be inviting over? I think Data. He has great party tricks. <laughs> and he's fully functional. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think maybe I was imagining a different kind of party. <laughs> and, and, uh, and speaking of and speaking of Noonie and Singh, why did he do that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of things wrong with Noonie and Singh. <laughs> that show up in his little android place. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah, think it'd be fun to talk to. He's got so much depth of knowledge and uh, and that quirky point of view. It'd be fun. Well, and if you had Dr. Sung there, you could, uh, you know, get Data and he, you know, going back mm-hmm. and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And we never saw the body when Dr. Sung died. So, yep. you know, so he, he was just left, left down there in his lab. I'm sure that was just another robot body anyway. I mean, that probably wasn't exactly. Anything. Exactly. So, Neil, who would you invite to supper? Uh, that was that was a hard one because I keep going back and forth between you know, the actors that <laughs> – to talk to the actors as opposed to the characters, but I think the characters, I think I'd still go with uh, Mr. Sulu. But Mr. Sulu later on, when he's in command of his ah, Excelsior class ship. Ah, nice. And really he get cut. the story. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> as opposed to yeah, young Sulu and maybe get some of the same stories that uh, George Takei had out of Sulu. Uh, just, <laughs> uh, Very nice. Yeah, but I think that would be my character. Excellent. It's an interesting group. Only uh, only one woman at the table. I think uh, I think uh, it should be interesting. Make for interesting conversation. All right. So um, to kind of break down how we're going to do this uh, for those listening at home, um, we I'm going to uh, share a little bit about the setting. We're not going to get into a great deal of the setting, but just enough to kind of set the stage. Uh, as to where we're going to go, and then we're going to spend our time uh, pitching characters to each other. And we'll come back in a, a, a separate episode and get more into setting and more into sandboxing, that kind of thing. Now, James, I know you had a question about sandboxing and uh, whether or not we would do that for for uh, a Star Trek setting. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's like any established setting, Star Wars, Star Trek... I guess even Shadowrun, the ones that that are established beyond um, the system agnostic or the setting agnostic systems like um, technically D&D and certainly Savage Worlds, you know, there there is a world there. And to me, sandboxing is to build the world. I mean, I can Mm -hmm. see where the sandboxing will be to focus the world. Um, And, you know, Star Trek, while it doesn't have a vast diversity of stories. Every one of the series that we've discussed has had a different focus and has had a different theme and feel. Um, so I can see where there would be, you know, a path to investigate something that ne- hasn't necessarily been seen or, or to go in, in the direction of one of the series. So I can see where the sandboxing is, but I wasn't, or where the sandboxing could be, but I wasn't sure if you were going to do that or if it was going to be more of a, you know, you guys know Star Trek, let's play. 
Right. Well, and there's certainly a degree to that. Uh, we'll be using the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game that recently came out from Modiphius. Um, if you haven't seen the, the, the game book, it is just gorgeous, uh, using a lot of original art uh, in the style of the Star Trek series that you love. Um, I, I I struggled with did I want to use a uh, a new set of rules or did I, did I want to stick with Savage Worlds or even Far Trek? Uh, Far Trek having uh, served our our Mancon games real well over the last couple of years, but I was interested about the the new Star Trek uh, RPG and I thought that would be a good opportunity for us to learn something new. So I wanted to do that, but there is an established setting uh, for the Star Trek Adventures game. Now you can obviously play in any era that you want to, but the Star Trek Adventures game is set during uh, the original mission of the Enterprise D, as featured during the uh, the uh, Next Generation television show. But that's not what I wanted to play. Um, what we will be playing is in the universe shortly after the conclusion of that terrible Star Trek film, uh, Nemesis. And I will say right now, I don't encourage anybody to go watch Nemesis. Uh, oh, thank is, God. <laughs> it is just a hideous film. In fact, for our purposes, our players can simply read the Wikipedia article or listen to me as we prep the game. Uh, because, Wow. It's a horrible movie. I rewatched it recently, and every time I go to it, every time I go to Nemesis, I'm thinking, it can't possibly be as bad as I remember. And yet, it remains a terrible, terrible film. Uh, <laughs> so, again, don't go watch it. <laughs> well, and I, I, did read the, I did read the Wikipedia page, but as usual, I won't be listening to you. <laughs> well, thank you, James. Uh, I appreciate that. I do. Uh, but you, you know, I was. It was interesting because does anybody know what Tom Hardy actually looks like? Because every time I read Tom Hardy's name in credits, I'm like, that was Tom Hardy. I know. Yeah, I do it's... the same thing. I do the same thing. I'm like, well, and how was that little guy, that big guy in Batman? I mean, I just, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I also don't know how two men who look completely different from one another, with the exception of being bald, are supposed to be clones. How is that yeah. supposed to be? How was oh. that supposed to be? Well, he had oh. his nose broken in the mine, so therefore, that excused all of it. It didn't work for me, Dan. It didn't work for me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work for anybody. God. God, it was so bad. It was so bad. So bad. Um, anyway, the only thing that's important for folks to, to, to know about Nemesis is that in that film, the Romulan Senate is completely wiped out. And so where we will be picking up is in the, 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 the days, weeks, and months following the conclusion of the events in that film where uh, the Romulan Empire has entered into a new relationship with the Federation given their, their weakened status uh, or needing assistance in uh, patrolling its borders and, and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So it will be a, an excursion into Romulan space. Uh, on 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 the good ship that uh, that we'll be playing on. So, any questions about that aspect of it? No, no, I'm good with it. Uh, we'll spend a lot more time in our in our in our uh, the next time we get together fleshing out what we'll be doing there. But I wanted to kind of set that stage. The ship you guys will be on will be the USS Aegean NCC four five zero eight C. This is the third ship in the line to uh, to bear the name. Um, 
you may re- those of you who have listened to our, our previous Star Trek podcast, we sandboxed a whole nother game for the USS Aegean uh, that we never got around to playing. So this is the the third ship in that in, to, to bear the name uh, since that uh, original incarnation. So the characters that we are going to create today will be the command crew for the USS Aegean. And it is an the, ambassador class starship, by the way. That's what that's what I was about to ask. I'm sure everybody else, as soon as they heard the designation, knew what it was. But I want to. Yeah, it's an ambassador-class starship, the same as the Enterprise-C from uh, that episode in, in The Next Generation, which I think was yesterday's uh, Enterprise. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it happens to be my favorite design of uh, the starships. I, I really like yeah. the, really like the ambassador-class. She's a nice-looking ship. Yeah, I, I really need uh, them to come out with a nice uh, toy uh, like the, like like uh, uh, they have for like the other... I've got the... I have the Dreadnought class uh, Enterprise from Next Generation, you know, from uh, uh, All Good Things. Mm-hmm. I've got the oh, yeah. the the uh, Enterprise class from uh, Star Trek Two, um, but I really need the Ambassador class. I, I, mm-hmm. I need them to make that <laughs> with all the sounds. So. <laughs> Anyhow, okay, so uh, that will give you enough to think about uh, in the, in the coming days as we as we prepare to do the next stage of, of sandboxing. But now we have to move on to actually pitching our characters. So we're going to round robin this. I believe each of y'all bought three brought three characters to pitch. So you'll each pitch a character. We'll talk about it, ask questions. The next person will pitch a character, and we'll just go around the room until we've all pitched our three characters. So I'll be asking questions. I would encourage encourage the rest of you to ask questions as well. What we should be doing is feeling out how is this character going to uh, perform duties, what's this character's uh, style going to be uh, on the ship, what would they be like to interact with, uh, so we can kind of figure out, you know, ultimately we have to figure out who's going to be captain, who's going to be first officer, uh, etc. One thing that I should probably point out for those listening at home is that Star Trek Adventures uh, understands that you don't have enough people in your playgroup most times to staff an entire starship and to have all of the different skill sets that you need for any given mission. And so one of the things that we'll be doing is the characters that are pitched today that aren't selected for our main cast will help flesh out some of the NPCs on the ship for other departments and whatnot, and those will be characters that when the main character is not being used by a player, they can use one of those other characters as a supporting character. So even though the character might not be chosen as one of our main characters, you'll probably still get to hear about them and from them uh, during the various missions uh, of the podcast. So, that said, Dan, hit me with your first All right. And i got to take notes. I forgot I have work to do here. (laughs) Well, I uh, uh, while reading through the book... It has a cool thing where you have three different experience levels of characters that you can create at. And so I my concepts actually fit into those three. So I'm starting with my young officer. This is a male uh, Bajoran uh, human hybrid. He's uh, one quarter human. He, uh, I kind of put him together with the thought of uh, navigation and uh, pilot uh, named uh, Sujo Noah. And... He is uh, recently, he, he left Bajor as soon as the Cardassian occupation lifted. Uh, his 
grandmother was a human who was trapped on Bajor when the Cardassians first invaded, like 50, 60 years ago. Uh, she stayed there and uh, made a life for herself but with the Bajorians. She helped out with the resistance. Uh, she was a scientist and was able to assist things with that skill set. Uh, she had a family uh, with a Bajoran man. They had a daughter. She grew up, and then she in turn had this character. So the human is his uh, grandmother. Um, basically, he got filled with stories from his grandmother about other worlds, other cultures, other places that weren't being you know, oppressed in work camps and all that sort of thing. And so whenever the, uh, when the occupation lifted, he took the opportunity and he applied to uh, Starfleet. And so he is a new recent uh, graduate of the Academy. Uh, his mother is still on Bajor helping with the recovery. And um, he, uh, Noah is following his dreams, looking for, looking to see other worlds from her stories. Uh, his father died in a work camp after trying to smuggle in communications gear. And his grandmother was killed in a coup by a Bajoran faction called the Circle. They were violent against any non-Bajorans, and she was killed in that particular uh, incident. I'm sorry, what, what's your character's full name? Uh, well, Bajorans do the uh, family name first, right. so it's Sujo Noah. Spell uh, Sujo for me. S-U-J-O. Thank you. Just like it sounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, at what age did Sujo go off planet? I don't have a specific age for him. I was just going with the young officer, so I'm not even sure what age is appropriate for getting to the academy. It seems like people can join at almost any age, but you would be younger, so <laughs> sure. It's uh, well, you know I'm, we saw we we saw in Next Generation that you know Wesley was able to join when he was 16, but I think a standard age is probably 18. But yeah. I think that varies. So whatever works for your character, we can we can make work. Yeah, exactly. Sujo left during the, the occupation? As once it lifted. Right. Oh, okay. So so when the Cardassians left, he then left the planet, joined Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Sorry, I misunderstood that. What's he like? What is it what does he like? What are what what are the things that, that he found interesting? What did he think when he got to San Francisco and Starfleet Academy? Well, given that he grew up his whole life under a, uh, a basically a hostile foreign occupation, it was probably quite the shock. And my idea for him is that he the he's got the explorer's bug, and so he probably would have excelled at like the whole stellar cartography aspect of it. He wants to see and visit as much as absolutely possible, and partly I think is to convince himself that no the way he grew up really isn't normal. Right. He's trying to kind of reaffirm his faith in intelligent species. You corrected me and reminded me, I should say, about how the Bajorian, Bajorans, uh, you know, use their names, that the, the family name is uh, the first name and their, their mm-hmm. last name is, the, is their uh, familiar name. So... Um, does he, you know, having left Bajor when he did at a young age, does he still embrace the Bajoran culture? Does he wear the earring in his uniform? I'm thinking the earring, yes. That he may not be, 
I wasn't real sure how strong I was going to do the whole prophets thing, uh-huh. the aspect of their religion stuff. So that part, I really hadn't uh, decided on how strongly I wanted to do that. But I figured that, I mean, he has the nose ridges. He, he is visibly Bajoran because he's, uh, you know, he's three quarters Bajoran. And so I figured he would have the earring and probably keep the uh, naming convention because, well, Kira did. Kira is her family name. She's Maurice. All righty. Anything else you want to tell us about uh, about Noah? Nothing particularly comes to mind. If anybody else has got questions. Yeah. Do you guys have questions about Noah? What is his attitude, belief, approach toward the Cardassians? I would think that caution would be the uh, the, the, the best <laughs> you could get out of him. Uh, he's going to be very distrustful and assuming that there's some ulterior motive going on. Especially since everything that happened after, you know, in the Dominion War, the Cardassians sided with them. I mean, he hasn't seen any examples of them being worthy of trusting. So, yeah, he's not going to be very well disposed to most Cardassians. To be fair, they are dicks. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah they, they haven't demonstrated much else. Racist. Come on, guys. I mean, <laughs> you guys are better than this. <laughs> Come on, you know Garrick's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a wonderful character. I, yeah, a bit of a prick, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, what a very nice he, prick. He still, don't necessarily have any reason to trust the guy. <laughs> uh, other questions for Dan concerning uh, Sujo Noah? Anyone? Anyone? Hearing none. James, pitch us your first character. All right. Well, <clears throat> well, first let me say how disappointed I was to find that there are no rules for playing the hot green alien. Um, and, uh, uh, from, from there, I'm going to pitch, uh, I'm going to pitch from weakest to strongest. I, or what I just want to say, James, I just want to say we can house rule that. Uh, that's, that's, can we house rule that? Okay. We can house rule. That. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, so my first character, and like I said, weakest to strongest, uh, is a Vulcan. I have not thought of a name for him yet. Um, he is... Uh, and my first two characters, I have two potential roles they could play. Um, my Vulcan is either a diplomat or a um, ship's counselor. Um, he believes that any problem, whether it is diplomatic or mental, can be solved with the proper application of logic. Um, he thinks that emotion just gets in the way. Um, so if he was the, you know, if he was a diplomat, he, he would, would believe that, um, there is a best outcome in any negotiation. And if everybody is logical about it, and if he can show them the logic to it, they can get to that best outcome. Um, whether it's both sides getting what they want or an equal share of, um, of loss or, um, of, of, uh, of win. If can he I, was, can, a, I, can I just say that a Vulcan counselor would be the worst? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, not one. You know, he, he would be coming from be he would be coming from the neuroscience aspect, where you know it's the you know your brain is a computer, um, and if you if you control your thoughts and emotions, you can control your thoughts and emotions. Um, I'm thinking he would be older. Um, he would have been. Um, he would have, 
uh, had a, a uh, academic career um, before, or not necessarily before joining Starfleet, but before going on a ship. Um, so you know, he would have he would have spent a lot of time in school and academic circles, and then um, and then gone on a mission, um, possibly because he was ordered to. Um, but yeah, so that's my that's my idea. Basically, a rebellion or an application of Vulcans to an area that you wouldn't normally think that they would go into. So he he's older, and it, it sounds uh, like you're saying that he had a career before this. Yeah, not I, I'm I'm thinking not necessarily outside of Starfleet, but a career in Starfleet that was largely, you know, either academy based or, or researcher like in, in the academia portion of Starfleet. Um, and then, you know, either ticked off the wrong person with his ideas and, and got sent as a punishment or, um, or it was decided that his skills could be best used in, in this mission. I would, I would suggest that in the original series that, uh, Certainly, Starfleet was not seen as a as a uh, desired career path for a Vulcan. You know, as we saw uh, with Spock struggling with his family. But I don't believe that's the case in the Next Generation era. So, would you would you think that uh, could it be something that he did to tick off someone? You know, maybe somebody didn't want him to. G- to go into Starfleet, maybe Starfleet was something that he wanted to do some time ago, but uh, it wasn't uh, the the appropriate thing to do at that time. But you know, Vulcans are long lived, and so now it's his opportunity to go do that thing he's always wanted to do. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. I, I was thinking, I, I knew that they were long lived, so I think that's a that's a a good path. Maybe his um, one of his parents or his last parent died, and. Um, illogical, illogical as it is, um, you know, he, he had not wanted to disappoint them by going into, you know, the crass, you know, field of being in Starfleet. Um, and so, you know, once that obstacle was out of the way, he, he used his skills to, to gain a position, um, I now you know if if this was Rainsboro, I'd be I'd be sending you a text right now asking if if your character had actually murdered the parent <laughs> so that he could then join. <laughs> but because this is Starfleet, we know that that's not the case. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, you know, Aaron. This ever since you invited me to this game, I, I've been trying to figure out how I could pitch my first character as a Cylon, but not. <laughs> <laughs> Original series, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that all he'd say all the time is "by your command." Yeah. By your command. <laughs> and by and by the way, guys, I just gave Aaron an idea. So I, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love robots. I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh yeah, I was, doing, for I was doing, doing a little research, and uh, I had not really seen the Breen, but they look super cool and a lot like uh, Princess Leia's disguise in. That's exactly uh, right. Return yeah. of the Jedi. Yeah. In fact, I think we all know Princess Leia was disguised as a Breen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm, so, uh, I'm imagining they're all Princess Leia's underneath those underneath that armor. <laughs> billions would, of Carrie Fisher's running around. They would have to be. Uh, so, not a bad questions thing. for James? Questions for James concerning his uh, second career Vulcan? 
Okay, hearing none, we'll move on to Scott. Okay. Um, my characters are not in any order, <laughs> ascending or descending or anything else. They're really in the order that I thought of them, uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> really, I tried to Nothing read the like book. Cramming for the, no, it's like cramming for the test, sir. It's like no, four demerits no. in Aaron's world. <laughs> Just now coming Sorry. up. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's been a crazy week at work, and I tried to read the book first, which was the an error. <laughs> so eventually I said, I can't read this anymore. I've got to make a character. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so my first character is Denny Skip Sinde, S-I-N-D-E. Uh, human male, um, and since I know about humans, I imagined him immediately with with a background. Um, so his father is an American of Pakistani descent. His mother is an Indian, uh, is Indian. Uh, they're both scientists, and he is going to come from a kind of uh, what would be the 24th century, you know, evolution of the of mix of those two cultures. His last name is probably a bastardization of, Sin- of Cindy, um, meaning from the province of Sind, and probably an error at Ellis Island centuries ago. Um, what I've got is he is a science officer. Um, I have put down his specialty as exobiology, but really I'm looking for a good specialty for him. Um, I'm not wedded to exobiology at all. What's really important for him is this that he's got a big brain. He's a smart guy, um, and science is his thing. But what's really his thing that I think is more interesting than that is that uh, I have a tendency to be way too serious with Star Trek and too serious with my characters. So I kind of wanted to force myself to have a character that I couldn't be too serious with. So the idea with this guy is that he never quite grew up. He's fundamentally playful, fundamentally up for trouble, kind of like Riker in his crazier times. Um, But he has learned enough self-control to pull it together when needed. So he's able to do great on the job because he can tamp that down. But as soon as he's off the clock, he's going to get himself into trouble. Um, I do two things with each of my characters um, as a little reminder for me. One is that I made a catchphrase, and the other is that I wrote something down about their ethics because ethics is like a big deal for me in Star Trek. I think that's what's beautiful about the Star Trek universe is that they are asking ethical questions and wrestling with them. <laughs> his his catchphrase is watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and his uh his ethics is going to be uh ethically undisciplined, meaning that he hasn't really thought about ethics and he doesn't have a a, a, a philosophy he really adheres to, but he is at fun, fundamentally compassionate. Um, and there's a religion add-on. He grew up in a Muslim home, but he's actually non-practicing himself. He kind of drifted off of that. Uh, questions for Scott concerning uh, uh, Danny Skip. Did I get that right, Cindy? Yep. Okay. Questions Denny. for Scott. Oh, Denny, not Danny? Yep. Sorry, thank you. D- did you say how old or you know what sort of you know, stage, young officer, experienced veteran? I imagine him as being young. I mean, he's... He's whip-smart and able to pull it together well enough to actually rise up in ranks and, and get decent write-ups on his reports. But I can't imagine that he's been uh, at this long enough to have real meaningful self-control that would reach beyond just, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the cut-up that, that uh, you know, has learned how to sit up straight and pay attention when the teacher looks his direction. And then as soon as the teacher looks away, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he has another page on his uh, documents that 
normally isn't there on most Starfleet Academy cadets. <laughs> well, on this date, he did this, and then he did this. It's his None permanent record are... is what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, I see, I see. Yep. None of them are particularly egregious. They're just uh-huh. odd. Oh, I thought it'd be fun to like try and think of pregnant yeah. jokes and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or at least be willing to say yes anytime anyone has an idea for something uh, a little bit dumb to do. So, Scott, you said he was going to be like the, the navigator, or that was your, your idea? Science officer. Science oh, science officer. Okay, right. I'm sorry. Is, is he the making stink bombs during the during downtime kind of science officer prankster, or is he you know disciplined all the time in the lab? Um, no, he would not be disciplined all the time at all. I yeah. think that stink bongs would not be beyond him, but he's more likely to be more reactive than planning. Right. And so right. he might, he might come up with something, uh, goofy to do and like really quickly put it in play and, and let it go boom. But he's not likely to think about it weeks ahead. Neil, you're up. Okay. I'm going to start with, uh, the one that I submitted originally, uh, Adrian Ballard. Uh, he this would is be. Your, this is your contest-winning <laughs> submission, but it's not necessarily the one I'm married to. So, okay, gotcha. Uh, uh, he's definitely one of the stronger of the three. Uh, but Adrian Ballard would. Uh, I proposed him as, originally as like a uh, medical officer, uh, but you know, trying to make sure that there's enough wiggle room. He could either be medical or science officer, depending on other people's you know leanings. And uh, uh, born on Earth, England. Uh, he sort of Starfleet is kind of a second career for him as well, uh, you know, in comparison to uh, uh, the first character that was presented. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, his, both his parents were uh, were well. His mother was a biologist. His father was a university professor. He started off going to medical school because he wanted to become. He wanted to apply biology. As opposed to just you know studying it, and uh, later on, after he graduated from medical school, uh, he went into Starfleet to improve his science backing, uh, sort of following in his mother's footsteps. Uh, as a medical officer, one of his preoccupations is to reprogram the emergency medical hologram to perform other functions. Uh, he'll spend more time with the emergency medical hologram than he will with other people. So he'll play chess if he's sitting in the uh, in the uh, in the sick bay as he's doing his shift, or he'll perform it to do other you know, program it to do other things. And that's my initial concept. Uh, sort of that dry English humor. Uh, he's very now, intensely curious. I, I have to tell you that when we were reviewing submissions. Paul said, well, you, you have to pick Neil. And I said, well, why do I have to pick Neil? And he said, because he's British. And I said, Paul, his character is British. Neil isn't British. And Paul says, no, it says right here. And I'm like, no, that's his character. Yeah. And we had to have a whole, we had to have a whole conversation about how <laughs> you can play a British person. You don't actually have to be British to play a British person. To do it very well, you do. <laughs> Paul, who plays a female character on Rainsboro. I'm, well, I'm sorry. Do we, we've just, 
<laughs> We've just learned. Do we need to do? Do we need to have a conversation with Paul about making America great again, and you know, keeping out these foreigners? Anyway? I mean, why do we got to pick the British guy? I don't understand that logic at all. Well, he just thought it would be great to have a real live British person on the podcast. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sure Neil is wonderful, but I don't believe him to be British. You would be correct, sir. Well, I mean, if we if we want an international flair, we can just make Scott play an Irish character the whole time and and uh, speak speak in an uh, accent. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, sorry, That's Neil. Okay. I didn't That's mean okay. to. Uh, no, no, that was pretty much it. Okay, so uh, we've got Adrian Ballard, a a, uh, a a physician. What was his first career? You said it was a second well, career. But medicine was... was his first career. Starfleet is a second career. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. So kind of like Doctor McCoy, right? Yeah, you know, came joined uh, Starfleet after already having been a practicing physician. I got gotcha. you. All right. So you said that he that part of his hobby is to reprogram the uh, emergency medical hologram. Nothing illicit. Nothing illicit. Uh huh. <laughs> does he cha- would, would he have changed the uh, the hologram's appearance? Yes. Yes. He has. What would the and and it and it will rotate. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so different skins, as it were. Yes. Different skins. Different oh. personalities. Uh, and creepy. That could really confuse and freak out people who come to the medical bay for an emergency. He he has oh, at times got... programmed it to look like himself. <laughs> <laughs> it provides the illusion that he has a staff, right? Oh, yeah. you know? Well, there's always somebody in here. What This guy's got to have a huge budget. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, can he activate more than one at a time? Uh, I, I hadn't thought of that yet. <laughs> Also, also, flashback to my Cylon idea that I gave Aaron, unfortunately, <laughs> and the AI that we're jacking with now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has that has intimate yeah. knowledge of of human physiology. So you know, there's that added bonus too. And it has a plan. And he, yeah. And and Neil has forgotten to reload the ethical routines. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had it set to corner. Not see, yeah. What's its what's its what's its first name? Sky. What's its last name? Net. Oh. <laughs> this is how the board got started. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, questions for Neil? Uh, Neil, will you be will will you be talking in a bad British accent the whole time? Uh, I will try to. I will okay. endeavor to do so. It'll, it'll make Paul happy if you would. You just picked yeah. your character, man. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I got. I need to hear his bad British accent before I decide if I want to hear that the whole time. So, I mean, you guys don't want to hear my Irish accent at, at all. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so oh boy, being put on the spot for that. <laughs> but we'll get you. We'll get you later on that, Neil. Thank you. So, uh, so Dan, mm-hmm. hit us with your second character. My second one is a technician. So I'm thinking, you know, engineering or or some sort of technical uh, uh, equivalent. And his name is Sabki Krex, and he's a Gorn. Oh, nice. He knows that he makes uh, mammals rather uncomfortable. And he thinks it's rather hilarious. Uh, he's um, he basically has some fun from time to time with the mammals, 
and but he 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 really likes his uh you know co-workers it's just he knows that they get freaked out because he's reptilian and the fact that they can't tell where he's looking because he's got those multifaceted eyes you know he loves trying to get people to play poker with him because they're screwed but yeah he's i'm just thinking he's more of a almost to the point of um the science officer that was uh, proposed earlier he's just sort of a fun guy i think those two would probably get along a lot he's not aggressive but you know he's a gorn so he can he's capable of fighting and i decided to put in like he's got this one button that really gets him you know really turns off the humor in that he has a deep-seated uh hatred for uh borg he lost several siblings to their incursions at first, they didn't know how to assimilate my people, so they just ground them up and used them as foodstuffs to feed the organics. Tastes like chicken? <laughs> and I'm thinking that, um, you know, I didn't really see much that specified on them, but I'm thinking that they probably are maybe cold-blooded, just as a interesting character trait. He's got like a heating element that he wears out as a vest underneath his uniform. It keeps his core uh, warm, so that way he doesn't have to worry about, you know, okay, this room is different temperature from that room. Right. Slowing down, etc. Yeah. yeah. So it keeps him at a, an act appropriate level for activity. And he's got an, a, a, uh, a fondness for vintage tech. He has a small collection of original series uh, technology because he just likes the design aesthetics. Maybe he's got, like, in his cabin, he's got an original captain's chair from uh, some old ship that he's been rebuilding with, like, current tech inside. But he loves the look of the great big toggle switches and, and buttons. The style. Yeah. He, uh, he he lost some family to the Borg. Um, does he have surviving family? I'm thinking probably so. You know, they, there's not a whole lot of information on Gorn, so we can kind of right. make it up. But I yep. figured that it'd probably have fairly large, you know, families. I figured that, he, yeah, he's probably got plenty of surviving relatives out there. But that losing some in that way just really gets to him. Uh, as far as the family, it could even be he only considers his siblings to be other Gorn from the same clutch. So maybe they have multiple, they lay multiple eggs. I'm going to assume mm-hmm. they lay eggs. Maybe they lay multiple eggs and... You know, those are your those are your siblings, and then yeah, it's more like the rest are more of a cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. kind of how I was thinking. Is that um, maybe there were you know five or six in that particular clutch that he was in, and 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 for the record, I'm pretty sure Gorn tastes like alligator. So that's that mm-hmm. would be my guess. Um, <laughs> it tastes like chicken, James. Speaking of of eating things, though, does he does he like his food wiggly, or is he able probably. to probably? I would think even just from a digestive point of view, he very well might. I'm I'm thinking that he probably eats maybe once or twice a week and probably does it in the privacy of his own cabin. Yeah. Oh, look at. Look but at he's that. perfectly happy to be social, you know, during other times. Look at his pet guinea pigs. <laughs> he always gets more of that. He must have like Look 50 or Mr. 60 of them in there right now. Yeah. Well, and, uh, I, Look at Mr. Mouse. I, I love the I love coming to play with your hamsters. I know I know what we I know what we'll do if we have triple trouble, so <laughs> Oh yes. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> um what were those first couple of years uh, among the humans in Starfleet like? Uh 
I ha- actually came up with a little thing that he's quite pleased with himself about in that he, he actually got an upperclassman to believe that Earth's dinosaurs were just the livestock from a Gorn colonization ep- effort on Earth, and uh, that he had an upperclassman buy into that, and he thinks that is hilarious. So that's the kind of guy he is. He's comfy with other races. All righty, James, hit us. All right, so my second character is a Bajoran named Daffa Falloon. Um, that's D A F A then F A L O O N for the last, for the for the first name. Um, <clears throat> he was um, so I got t- my iPad has auto corrected that to days. Okay, so that's going to have to be your name. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he was uh, on Bajor during the Kardashian. Kardashian. Oh, the Kardashian. <laughs> I keep oh, God. Those were dark, dark times. <laughs> oh, no, which one was oh, the horror. Uh, so he was on Bajor, grew up in the uh, occupation. Um, he had a talent for um, technology. Um, so my idea is that he was helping with some of the equipment um, instead of just being brute labor. Um, he... Uh, and also, as soon as the occupation ended, he got off of Bajor, um, not just because of the occupation, but he is also a hardcore agnostic, um, and he feels like um, the Kais are as responsible for Bajor's uh, problems as the the Cardassians were. Um, he thinks the prophets are, well, he knows the prophets are false gods, um, so he has the uh, Clarkian view that any magic is actually just technology you don't understand and anybody who presents himself as a god is not to be trusted and it's, it's just a, a person trying to fool you. Um, to that end, he is fascinated with wormholes because he is trying to get more information to debunk um, the prophets and, and the wormhole and, and uh, you know with a better understanding of wormholes. Um, my idea is that he's either a science officer with a focus in wormholes or an engineer. Um, and then he is also a he's also an irresponsible whichever one he is. So he's the kind of guy who um, would set up a uh, like a a small wormhole generator and then forget to turn it off um, or not even. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or not even not even bother turning it on. You know, one that one that goes across his cabin to begin with, and then uh, you know he wanders away and comes back, and he doesn't know where the other end of it is anymore. Um, it, so either as a as an engineer, he would be the kind of guy who uh, would uh, mess with the regulators and the and, and things on the engines uh, because he he knows it'll make it go, it'll make it work better, and they're just there, you know. They're just there to be overly cautious. Um, so he would be tweaking the engines to, to get more power, more speed out of them. Or he would be doing, like I said, irresponsible experiments that would uh, undoubtedly lead to problems but be brilliant in, uh, in the process. You have a Bajoran that believes the uh, wormhole aliens are false prophets, right? right? Yes. So Dan... Mm-hmm. You proposed a Bajoran who uh, 
similar kind of situation left after the occupation, right? Yeah. Y'all both have that in common. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, Dan, how your character might interact with someone like James's character. I'm not really sure. Since I hadn't really decided on the whole uh, profits thing with him, I really can't say specifically how that would go. You know, I like the idea of, of possibly having those kind of conversations. Um, I'm thinking that, you know, his time in Starfleet and stuff maybe kind of tempered his view a little bit of, you know, what the, the profits may have been. Because since he left shortly after the occupation, that means that most of the stuff that happened during the Deep Space Nine series where with the discovery of the wormhole and all that, that all that is basically just stories that he heard secondhand. He wasn't there. So basically the proof that the prophets were even there physically, he wasn't even present for. So James, other way around, how, how would your guy respond to someone like Dan's guy? Uh, he would try to convince him that the prophets were not, not real. Or not real gods. So he, he, so he would actively seek to debunk. He, I believe. Yes, but would not aggressively. He would actively, but not aggressively. Once he, he assumes that most Bajorans are. Um, he assumes that most Bajorans believe uh, in the prophets, um, and so he's never surprised when they actually do. Just a little disappointed. So you know, it's one of those. It's one of those fights that he, you know, always starts fighting, uh, but but stops pretty quickly because he knows how it's going to end. Uh, Probably one of those things not approached for a long time. Right. Yeah. I. You know. It. It, it may be. Uh, hey, we're both Bajorans. We should hang out, and then they find out that they don't have that much in in common. Hey, I've got a Bajoran Bajoran friend. I think it was. exactly. <laughs> You guys know each other, I have right? A friend. <laughs> oh, I, I can't be <laughs> hey, some of my best friends are Bajoran. Yeah, so so he he doesn't reject all of Bajoran culture. You know, he 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 he's proud of their art, architecture, that that kind of thing. He just thinks that the that the <clears throat> religious aspect and how much it it dominates their culture is a problem, and he kind of right. he kind of feels like it left them. Weak, weakened in the face of the Kardashians. I mean, not that they could have done anything. They're one planet against you know, an empire, but still. Scott! Okay, uh, my second uh, character idea is uh, her name is Ino Tavan. I-N-O space T apostrophe, or what is that? Is Mark V-A-N. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, half the names in Star Trek have a little mark in them. It's that mark. Right. <laughs> um, Ooh, umlaut. T umlaut V A N. Umlaut. Is it a German metal band? <laughs> Respect the umlaut. She might go for that. Though. Yeah, now I'm imagining a a a, uh, a German metal band that does Star Trek themes, and it's Spock, but with the umlaut over the O. So. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce, but. All right. So, (laughs) so Scott, (laughs) just a minute. Uh, So she's a Vulcan female. I imagine her as a security officer because I love the idea of a security officer officer who is dispassionate and 
kind of um, doesn't get all hot-headed, but instead kind of gets cold. And I like also the idea of having her be a security officer that's less about muscle and more about intellect. So more of a focus on you know security with a technolo- technological focus. So more use of um, because I, as a player, like to make up clever shit. Um, more focus on you know how do we use how do we use a uh, force field? How do we use this? How do I use that uh, for te- for security purposes? I love Vulcans. I think they're awesome because I am a socially awkward nerd boy who overvalues his intellect. <laughs> and I think, yeah. And uh, so I wanted to work in that that monoculture, but the, it's, a, it's a real monoculture. And I didn't want to break out of the monoculture and be like, I'm the unlogical Vulcan, because you know we already have a whole race for that. Um, and so what I tried to do is find a hook that was within that monoculture to find something different. And so the thing that I landed on uh, to to explore for a different shade of Vulcan is the idea that tradition is not in itself logical because the Vulcans are all about tradition. They're all about ceremony. They're all about you wear the, the silver robes, you stand in formation, you mutter the words at the time you told them mutter the words, right? But that's not logical. And that is an add-on to the, to the whole logic philosophy itself. Um, so what I want to do, what I want to do is make her as iconoclastic as she can while still being within the logical Vulcan mold. So logical values reason, which rejects the kind of default conservative presumptions and the default traditions that all other Vulcans do. Um, so, for example, she'd be happy to have Vulcans reunite with Romulans. Um, or to try an unorthodox method, an untested method, or experiment with new thought patterns, you know, try drugs, who knows? She's willing to explore things, right? And she's seeking new experiences and seeking a risk. Um, uh, The line I put in here is, as punk as a Vulcan can be, which is not all that punk. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So I have a tagline and a a, uh, ethical point. Uh, The tagline would be, that should hold them. And the ethical point, um, utilitarian, basically. You know, the, uh, the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So if she's willing to explore new things, she's open to new things, how does that impact her, the rigidity that you typically see in security and tactical officers? I Well, that's what I wanted to explore, is, is to move outside of that standard idea of a tactical officer, security officer, with, uh, you know, because, you know, there's Worf, and he's like, rawr, and punch and you know not in the broadside of a barn with this phaser and that's what you usually see i wanted to explore that and so what would that look like that, that might look like pre-planning to you know, like section off parts of the ship so she can trap people it might look like instead of being the one that rushes in be the one that like face of the background gets uh, the right piece of equipment and then you know shocks them to unconsciousness when they come around a corner because they didn't know to look out for her who knows i mean i'm hoping i can get clever and come up with cool stuff to do that won't be just, you know, I have my phaser and I can, you know, punch him harder. How does the seeking new experiences affect her interactions with other crew members? I think that she would be seen as kind of abrasive uh, because she's also going to be pushing back against other people's idea of traditions and other people's idea of what's normal and acceptable. And, you know, we could spin plots out of her trying something new and, and, and getting herself in trouble. Um, I think that she would probably rub a Vulcan very raw. 
um, <laughs> because she's throwing in their face this whole tradition thing into their face, but at the same time she's not being illogical. And so she's pointing out the flaw in their society. We have an all-logic society, but then we do these things for no good reason. If she's looking for new experiences, is she going to go find the Gorn when it's time for on far? <laughs> that is not out of the question. <laughs> All right, then. I'm appropriately horrified. Um, <laughs> Our job uh, is anything done, else gentlemen. for Scott? Everyone cheered when the robot had sex with the woman. <laughs> Aaron, I do believe you did mention, you know, slash pick at the beginning of this. So that's yes. true. That's true. I was my, it was my bad. I opened the door. <laughs> All right, Neil, number two. Uh, my second stronger character concept is Dylan Lake, another human. Uh, he was the firstborn child in the Federation colony, and both of his parents. Uh, died during the colonization, and he was taken in uh, by the leader of the colony, who was a retired Starfleet captain that helped him get into Starfleet. Uh, this, his posting on the AGN is sort of his last stop. <laughs> He's had a number of screw-ups along the way just because he has a chip on his shoulder, but his father has pulled strings to keep him in. So this is sort of like his last chance for him i sort of see him you know either you know sort of the helmsman uh you know the uh, flight controller that sort of thing uh he's on the young side uh a, a horrible way to it just occurred to me when i was working on him earlier like a horrible thought occurred to me he is uh he is kelvin kirk without the pouty lips <laughs> okay <laughs> So that's that. That was uh, uh, that's him. You know, sort of brash, sarcastic. Uh, hasn't been taking things seriously, but he's starting to get a clue. Uh, since this is you know really coming up to be his last chance. So this is his his last chance, right? Yep. Do you see? And we'll we'll get more into intercharacter relationships later on. Somebody had to pull strings, so maybe somebody's watching over him. You know, maybe somebody has done him a favor. Maybe it's the commanding officer or a senior officer on the ship that has uh, uh, done the favor and said, "Okay, I'll let him on." Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely that going on for him. We are starting the third and final round, Dan. And uh, this one not quite as flushed out. This one's my veteran officer. I went for uh, somebody in the sciences. I do not have a specialty uh, selected. But a Tellarite, and uh, the random generator for the name came up with Fegrus, but I kept reading it as Fergus. And I, I just like the idea of a science officer Tellarite named Fergus. So uh, <laughs> it works for me. Yeah. Uh, most Tellarites, they're basically uh, Tolkien dwarves, uh, very argumentative, a little short, um, not terribly uh, attractive, and very hairy. Uh, but what I'm thinking of for this guy is that, you know, he's got that outward appearance, but he deeply cares for his Starfleet family on the ship. Uh, he is a fifth generation Starfleet, and he's hoping that either his own offspring or his siblings will also choose the path of Starfleet. 
that I, I put in here that his uh, one of his uh, multi great grandmothers was present at the Battle of Sharon, which is one of the defining things that unified the races to create Starfleet in the Federation. After hearing the description on Telluride, I think I may be part of Telluride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just look them up. They're, they're lookers. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are quite fetching. Uh, um, I'm sorry, did you say sciences for him? Yes. Is it? At first, I was thinking security, but I was like, ah, that's way too stereotyped. I, I'm, let's make him a scientist. So he might still be kind of argumentative and, and stuff, but, you know, he comes from a point of, you know, proof and scientific method with his, uh, whenever he's trying to berate somebody. All right, James, number three. Okay, so my third character is a human named uh, Travis Bowie. He is a born and bred Starfleet, uh, born and bred Starfleet officer. Actually, his both of his parents uh, were in Starfleet. Um, one of them as a captain, the other one as um, a chief engineer. Um, his grandparents on one side, actually, his a grandparent on each side were also in Starfleet. Um, he was raised uh, on a ship. Um, probably actually multiple ships as, you know, his parents were moved around. Um, he has known since he was a child what he was going to do. He, he, he's known since, you know, he was a baby on, on his mother's knee that he was going to be in Starfleet um, and that he was going to be a captain. Um, so he has followed all the appropriate steps to do that and um, has gotten his command um, I don't know if this would be his first command because I, I don't know how big or important the ship is necessarily in scale with 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 anything else. Um, but he would be uh, he's not one of those people who's rebelling against his parents or that has anything to prove to his parents. He is just very certain that this is what he is meant to do um, because that's what his family does. Um, so there's none of the. There's none of the uh, the discord of you know rebelling or trying to live up to what his what his parents were. And to be honest, his parents were not spectacular officers. They weren't, um, you know, they they didn't make a name for themselves. They were they were adequate and, and even even excelled, but they you know weren't Picards or you know or uh, or Rikers or anything. They you know they they don't have a big name. In the um, in Starfleet, Scott. Uh, my number three is also a Tellerite, uh, Tellerite male, uh, <laughs> Tus Gris, T U S space G R I S. I see him as an engineer uh, specializing in warp bubble physics and related subspace phenomenon because that sounds awfully useful specialization in this game. His kind of um, shortcut for his character is less banter, more action. Um, he would rather have a quick and meaningful conversations and the endless insult competitions that he grew up around with other Tellarites. Uh, what I have written here is basically the Tellarite equivalent of Asperger's. Um, but that's really unfair. <laughs> what it really comes down to is I put that in there because I am no good at being funny on cue. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'll walk off. Thanks. <laughs> um, 
All right, so he tends to want to get on with an idea rather than wait for some halfwit to approve it. So he's going to be doing dumb, uh, not dumb things. He's going to be doing experimental things. He's going to be doing his own thing. He's going to make his own modifications. And you can talk all you want at him about his modifications, about Starfleet regulations, and how you have to follow a chain of command. And he's going to be like, whatever, it was right, shut up. So he's more of the ask for forgiveness than permission? Uh, he didn't bother to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, tell hard truths, uh, give grief kind of aspect of Tellerites. You know, I'm looking forward to. I'm I have his 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 tag phrase that I gave here. I, I if I get to play this character, I really want to look at the captain and say, "You have a child's understanding of what a warp drive can do." <laughs> nice. Um, for his ethical hook, um, he's Kantian light, basically uh, Kantian, um, but I don't want to get down into the depths of the, of the, the complexity of Kantian philosophy. Um, so, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, well, I don't know why not. I mean, <laughs> every Kantian is Kantian light, or they're lying. I mean, I mean, Kant depths. I mean, aren't you being a little bit generous there? I mean. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, we don't get to hurt others, no matter how much easier it makes your day, basically. Because um, one thing I love to do is that have that little, like the ethical argument. And one thing I love about Old Trek, people like to uh, pitch it as um, um, Logos and what are the other two? Ethos, Logos, and the other one? Pathos. <laughs> Pathos, yes. But I all the time I'm watching Old Trek, I see utilitarianism and Kantianism and Kirk trying to find some middle path. So and so that, that always sings to me. I thought you had said sciences before, but then I gathered engineer for this character. Yeah, I'm thinking engineering because then he can get away with doing his own thing um, and make his own modifications and having that uh, be interesting later. And it's really, um, I'm kind of, I tried playing a character like this once before in a different Star Trek game, and I kind of sucked at it. Um, but I think I figured out that it was a problem with me, and I think I figured out how to play him right. And so I, I'm kind of looking forward to experimenting with that kind of thing. And this is why Scott's not in sales. <laughs> yeah, oh, that sucks. would make sense. Maybe it'll be okay this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Neil, bring us home. Uh, the, my last character is definitely, I think, and again, uh, going off the riff of sucking at sales, this is definitely probably my weakest character concept. Uh but it goes along the theme that we have for this third round so far of he's also a Starfleet brat who comes from a family <laughs> that's been in Starfleet, uh, Michael Chang. And uh, I see him in the operations section, so either engineering or security. Uh, he was uh, born uh, near wherever people were living that worked at Utopia Planitia shipyards. Uh, he strongly wanted to follow in his parents' footsteps. Uh, yeah, and his whole thing is trying to do them proud. So he takes his job very seriously, uh, possibly to his detriment, because for any character that would be a, he would definitely be the straight man for any character that is, uh, more inclined to practical jokes. Uh, I see him as, uh, having had one young officer, one experienced officer, he would be the veteran officer. Uh, and that's really all I got for him. He's just, you know, very workmanlike, you know, get the job done, do your best, you know, that sort of, you know, towing the line for, uh, you know, the Federation line, that sort of thing. You say he was a Starfleet brat. Are his parents uh, 
uh, noted Starfleet officers, or were they just sort of your your uh, you know journeyman officers? They were competent at what they did, but you know, no, yeah, I, same, along the same lines as just being you know, having been competent at what they did, not really well known. So each of you has three characters. Does anybody have a character that they feel, or does anybody has anybody heard a character? I should ask. Let me ask that first. Has anyone heard a character that they think would make a great captain? That they would like to be their captain. Is there is there is there a character that has been pitched today that you would like to nominate for captain? I think uh, actually Dylan Lake would make a good cat would make an interesting captain. And that was Neil's second character. He was the uh, the human screw up, right? Yep. Uh, the uh, the the Kelvin timeline Kirk without the pouty lips, is that, if I recall. Yep. Uh, chip on his shoulder. This is his last chance. Uh, started off as a con officer, brash, the whole bit. Okay, so that's one nomination for Dylan Lake. I think the. I actually think the uh, Vulcan, Eno Tavon. The values, reason, uh, open to new things. Uh, Scott's second character. Yeah. So I've got two characters out there. Uh, any other nominations? I've heard from Neil, and I think I've heard from James. The. Uh... The other Bajoran might also be an interesting choice for that kind of a concept. And that being uh, Daffa Falloon? Is that the Bajoran yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, James's second character yeah. as well? Mine... They're all coming from the second tier. What is that? What's happening in the second tier? <laughs> <laughs> well, does that mean that uh, my Gorn would be a funny, technically minded Gorn? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh God! The gore, the, the captain's eating and shrivel again on the bridge. <laughs> Why is it always so hot on this ship? <laughs> <laughs> I allowed okay, you to have then... fans at your workstations, didn't I? <laughs> so, Scott, did you? Is there anything that you wanted to nominate? As far as a, a captain, well, let's Correct. see. There was one that. Um, um, there was one. Let me see. You're the uh, no, it's it didn't even have a name. Uh, James's first one, the uh, diplomatic cancer oh, solves all problems. Good. Counselor solves all problems by logic. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of a, a absolutely logical captain and seeing what that would look like is interesting. Yeah, especially. And while I don't, I don't know that a counselor would be the ideal uh, choice for a captain. The fact that that. Uh, a diplomat in their earlier career might be a good choice for that's pretty much Picard's secondary job was diplomat right right okay so we've got four nominations for captain so we've got uh neil's character dylan lake uh the human screw up this is his last chance right we've got uh eno tavon am i getting that name right uh Uh, yeah. the, the Vulcan female valuing uh, reason, open to new things. Her catchphrase is that should hold him. And then James with a, a, a crazy two entries into the category um, uh, with his Vulcan, uh, previously a diplomat, the second career, and then his Bajoran Dafa Falun, um, who grew up during the occupation, uh, prophets are false gods, fascinated with wormholes and debunking those wormhole aliens. Uh, an irresponsible researches, researcher, and he'll leave projects on unattended. I took a lot of notes on that one, James. Uh, I had a lot of notes on that one. 
he, he, <laughs> I, I kept getting new ideas that fit him. So he, he's, he's kind of like a, a conglomeration, but I, I think he fits together okay. Okay, so four characters. Can I see a show? Can, can, can I get a, a vote on uh, Dylan Lake for captain? Any hands for that one? Okay. Uh, Eno Tavon, the Vulcan female for captain. Any show of hands there? Me. Uh, me. I, I kind of like that idea. I like the idea of a uh, female Vulcan captain. It's kind of cool. Uh, so that's two that we've got there? Three, actually. I think we have a winner, actually. <laughs> Is that three? Do we have three votes on that? Neil, you voted for it, too, right? Yeah, I voted for it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so there we go. You know, Tavon is our uh, Scotty. You're our lady captain. Rock and roll. This should be fun being a a anti anti traditionalist captain. So uh, we won't do it tonight, but we'll uh, bake in some things to her background. Yeah. So that uh, you know she's got more experience going into this. Cool. Um, okay. So that said, Dan, of your three characters. Actually, that's not how we're doing this. Guys, of Dan's three characters, Sujo Noah, the Bajoran human uh, male who left the occupation. He's got the Explorer's blood, Explorer's bug. Uh, He's not deeply Bajoran, meaning that he's not praying every day, but he still wears the earring. He still values his heritage. We have uh, his Gorn, who uh, enjoys the mammals. He's a fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's not aggressive. He's capable. He's uh, got some deep-seated hatred for the Borg. He has a fondness of vintage tech. Uh, surviving, uh, He has surviving family from his same clutch. He's a techie. Uh, so we've got the Gorn guy. And then we've got uh, his Tellarite, Fergus, who would be a veteran officer, deeply cares for his Starship crewmates, uh, experienced in the sciences. Of those three, which one do we prefer? I'm split between the Gorn and the Bajoran. Same. I'm going to go for the Gorn because uh, I think one of the great traditions in Star Trek series is that they, every one of them has one weird alien on board. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's Spock in the first, in the first series and then Worf in next generation and then Odo and then, you know, seven, nine and, yeah. Um, so I think I think the Gorn is the, you know, what's this guy doing here? Kind of alien for for the Aegean. And I'm sorry, is that two? Do, do we have two votes then for the Gorn? Yeah, I'll throw my vote in for the Gorn. Okay. Sure. So Dan, mm-hmm. is that a character you want to play? Absolutely. He was my first character I came up with, and he's the one I'm kind of most excited about. We'll have to figure out how to build him though, because there's obviously no Gorn stats in the book. We will figure that out. Yeah. Well, if we're figuring characters out, I want to play the hot green alien. <laughs> I, told I told you we would totally house roll that. You know me. I do. I'm your Huckleberry. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got Dan sorted out. James, uh, we have your your Vulcan who is on his second career. Either uh, his earlier career was either as a diplomat or a counselor. We're not sure which. Uh, we have your uh, Bajoran, Dafa Falun. The, uh, the prophets are false gods. Uh, and we have your uh, human, Travis Bowie. See, I, I pronounced it right. That's right. Um, your, uh, your human whose uh, family is has a Starfleet, Starfleet background. Of those three guys, 
Which one do we like the most? Which one do we want to recommend James play as his primary character? I think Daffa Falloon. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah, That's I true. like Daffa. I, I'd be fine with either him or... or uh, I'm yeah, good I'm with good. Majoran. Yeah, I think he's the one I probably have fleshed out the most anyway, so... Okay. Very good. All right. Neil, um, we have Adrian Ballard, human, Starfleet. This was your, your entry character, the British one, the one that Paul think made... Paul think you're British. <laughs> Uh, who, uh, <laughs> who is a physician, uh, was actually a physician before he joined Starfleet. The Starfleet's his second career, and he likes to tinker with the EMH. We have your second choice, Dylan Lake, the aforementioned human screw-up. Uh, this is his last chance. This is the last stop for Dylan Lake. And then we have uh, number three, your Starfleet brat, Michael Chang, an ops officer, a veteran of Starfleet, uh, comes from a whole Starfleet background. Of those three guys, which one do we want Neil to play? As much as it pains me, and you guys know how much it pains me to agree with Paul, uh, I'm going to go with Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to go with Adrian. I think he's... I think uh-huh. he's Interesting. It has. Uh, I think the EMH can become its own character. Yeah. Um, yeah. That you know, we. I, I don't think anybody else had necessarily even thought about. You know, I'd also kinda, go with Adrian Ballard. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to do that too. I like that a lot. Wow. Neil, are you cool with that? I'm very cool with that. Yep. Awesome. And, have our quick guys. And now we have to hear the bad British accent. Oh boy! <laughs> if you if you like, I can have Paul give you some tips. You know, he's quite experienced. <laughs> just you just got to start every every sentence with "Hello, Governor." No, it's cheers. It's cheers. Yeah, cheers. Good evening, Captain. How are you this evening? Very good. Very good. Watch a lot of Monty Python. You'll be you'll be fine. Yes, I'll be fine. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we have our crew, and that is where we will end this evening. Uh, when we come back next, we'll flesh out our characters more, talk about the relationship our, our characters have with one another. Uh, we'll start staffing out the NPCs, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about the types of stories, the types of events, the things that you want to encounter in the Star Trek universe as we begin playing. Excellent. Yes. Hope you guys had a good time. This was fun. I did. Yeah, it was great. Oh, yeah. Star Trek Aegean is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. Theme music generously provided by some dead guy. No Klingons were genetically altered in the production of this podcast. I could do this all the time. <laughs> this is this is seriously this is my favorite thing.